0: hello everyone and welcome to easy medicine a podcast designed to authentically engage medical and pre-medical students on their journey to becoming a physician as an aspiring physician i seek to provide insight gathered from my own experiences as a student tutor and coach as well as others in the field to make this incredibly complex adventure a unique fulfilling experience together let's make medicine easy all right for the question of the day A 22-year-old presents after a motor vehicle accident. The patient is alert and oriented times three and is well-appearing. Upon musculoskeletal exam, the patient cannot abduct her right arm greater than 40 degrees. Which of the following nerves innervates the muscle that is most likely damaged? Is it A, radial nerve, B, ulnar nerve, C, axillary nerve, D, dorsal scapular nerve, or E, suprascapular nerve? The answer will be at the end of the podcast. This podcast today is something I have conversations about all the time with my students. It is super important and it is very difficult to go through, especially when you are thinking about all the consequences of failing an exam or failing classes or being a failure, whatever it is. The word fail is such a strong, potent word, um, and it is a huge fear factor for a lot of students, and it actually inhibits students from feeling confident. So today, the topic is about confidence, but specifically during exams. Now, this is a skill. This isn't something that we just naturally have or an ability we have. This is something that we have to be actually conscious of, that we have to develop. So when we're talking about confidence during the exam, I'm speaking specifically of the time that you sit down to open up that exam to the time that you close that exam and submit the results. So of course this this takes preparation. This isn't something that just happens naturally like I mentioned. So we have to think about what is it during an exam that shifts confidence. There are many factors that I hear about. Typically the factors are seeing questions that are written in a different format than what we're used to, even though we know the topic that they're covering. So for example, if I'm looking at a hemoglobin oxygen saturation curve, and I see the question written in a format that I was not used to seeing, especially because it wasn't on the lecture, maybe I didn't see a practice question about it, I may feel panicked. I may actually start to doubt myself that I know what this topic is all about. I may be confused. And what happens is, it can cause a spiral where we end up spending, I don't know, maybe five minutes trying to figure this thing out. Even though the answer might be right where we need it to be, we may question ourselves that because it's written differently, that must mean I may not know it. This is a tough thing to deal with, and especially during the exam, getting caught up in that and you know using that time in stress rather than in strategy is not going to be helpful for you. So that's something that I'm gonna to touch on. And that's the first thing we're gonna talk about. When we are preparing for an exam, a really important thing we need to do is see the information from as many angles as we possibly can. I think I talked about this in one of the podcasts when I talk about the first pass, second pass, and third pass of learning. What that is doing is is emphasizing finding different ways to see the information, the same information, from different angles. Because when they present the question to you on your exam, 95% chance it's not going to look exactly the same as the way you saw it. So for example, if you're learning biochem right now, and that's what a lot of first years are doing, they may show you slides of the enzyme pathways and all the things that go into it and the cofactors. But what if they throw a question in there where they ask you if the enzyme is dysfunctional, which substrate would build up? Now that's different than what we're looking at, right? We're kind of looking at this picture as, well, if this enzyme is dysfunctional, then the pathway can't work and I can't create whatever the product is. But sometimes they may ask you about a substrate building up. So that changes the angle of the question, and that can be very stressful during an exam. So what do we do about this? The goal is, once again, seeing the information from as many angles as you possibly can. So you want to start with your foundation, right? Learning the information, seeing the the vocabulary, and really just getting a general idea of it. Then you want to test yourself on it by doing either Anki cards or doing practice questions. And if you really don't understand it, you want to look at a supplemental video. Now, those three things are three different angles, right? You got it from your lecture. That's one angle. You saw it in Anki or practice questions. That's another angle. And then you looked at a supplemental video. And that video maybe explained it in a different way than you saw in lecture. So what that does is it prepares your mind for the fact that this information, yes, it is the same, but it could be tested differently. And when you prepare yourself for something like that, There is less of a chance that during the exam, when you see that oxygen saturation curve and the question is written differently, you don't freeze. You say, oh, this is another angle. Let me find the key words. Okay, it's saying there's high levels of hydrogen. I know with high levels of hydrogen, that shifts the curve to the right. Maybe they're asking me what happens to the affinity of oxygen, or what does that do in the tissue? So when you when you take that moment to really step back and say how is this angle different than what i've seen and what do i know from the other angles that i can apply to this question all right so that's that's number one is you know finding as many ways as possible to see the information from different angles so that when the test comes you're prepared for something unexpected the next thing that is really, really important is timing. So there's a couple components to this that I wanna break down. The first component is how long you spend on a question. People know that when you spend more than a couple minutes on a question, you start to cycle into anxiety. Oh my gosh, I'm wasting so much time. I should know this. Why don't I know this? This is something that I've learned a hundred times, or this is something I reviewed all the time and I just don't know it right now. And we spend, you know, three, four, five minutes when we could be using those, you know, that time for other questions that we can get points on. So timing is really important. And a lot of people are stressed about the clock the clock time down. Right. So we're we're watching the clock tick away and seeing like, okay, I only have an hour and a half left, I only have an hour left, I only have a half hour left. And we start to hyper focus on that timing. So there are a couple strategies that I want to implement because when we know how well we are at timing and we know how long it takes for us at timing, we become more confident in an exam. Okay. So first things first, I always tell my students. And when you are reading a question, you want to go right to the question first, right? So if there's a whole stem with vitals and history and patient's age and whatever, I want you to actually just go straight to the question, right? What are they asking me? What is it that they want to know and what answer are they trying to gather? And this is so important because when we read questions, especially long questions, sometimes we get lost in the detail. And we think there are important things like, oh, man, this guy's heart rate is kind of high. And it may have nothing to do with the question. So read the question first. What are they asking me? The next part is, is kind of controversial. Some people will say, go back and now read the whole question stem. I actually want you to read the options because you are given a multiple choice, right? If you don't have to conjure an answer in your head, Use what's already there, right? One of those five options or six options or however many options there are is the answer. So to direct your brain to figure out which of these, you know, which direction will I be looking for in this question stem, look at the options, right? Are they asking about pattern of inheritance? You know, like, are they saying, oh, you know, autosomal dominant, autosomal recessive, X-linked recessive, etc. cetera. What that tells me is then I need to look for a disease that matches one of these patterns, right? So it it changes your perspective when you go back to read the questions then. And you can use that for any type of question. Then I want you to go back and read the question. If this process takes you more than 45 seconds and you do not have an immediate or a second thought answer, then I need you to move on. We get stuck in this cycle of, oh, it's right there. I think this is it. I'm down to two. I don't wanna skip this, I just wanna answer it, I don't wanna come back, I, I want you to come back to it. I want you to flag this one. And the reason for that is because A, this might show up somewhere else and help you with this answer, and B, the information may not be at the forefront of your mind right this second, but it doesn't mean it won't be there later. So 30 to 45 seconds, you read the question, You read the answers, you read the question stem. If you don't get it right away, you need time to process it. Look through the options, see what you can cross out, flag it, move on. Now, why do I say that? If you think about when you're taking an exam, the relief you feel when you get to the last question is incredible. It makes you feel so confident that you have seen everything that they've presented. There's nothing more necessarily that you haven't seen, all you have to do is really go back to the ones you flagged. The more time you have at the last question, the better you feel. So if you have 120 questions on your exam, when you start at question one, it is terrifying. By the time you get to question 120, you feel a lot better that you've seen it. You've seen all that that's on the exam. So the The point of having to skip after 30 to 45 seconds is so that you can get to that last question faster and you have more time at the end to go back to the questions that you were struggling with so that you can spend a good amount of time on it. So let's say right now you spend maybe two and a half minutes plus on questions and it takes away your time so that by the time you get to the end of the exam, you don't have time to review. Now imagine you spend 30 to 45 seconds per question and you get to the end of the exam and you have 45 minutes to an hour to review. I mean imagine the difference in your confidence when you go back and you have more time to spend with these questions because now let's say you flag 20 questions, you have 45 minutes to get through 20 questions. Whereas before maybe you started with 2 hours to get through 120. Right? So this is this is a strategy that we can utilize while we're taking the exam to really boost the confidence because confidence comes with how we feel in the exam using strategies. All right. So what we just did is we gave ourselves time back during the exam. So 30 to 45 seconds. I don't get it. I flag it. I move on. I get to the end. I come back and I have more time to spend with these questions. All right. And on top of that, you know, you may go through that exam. And like I mentioned earlier, you may find the answer elsewhere or your brain might pull it out of, you know, the vast universe of neurons that is in your brain and there it is, right? So, if you don't have it in the moment, it doesn't mean that you won't have it later. All right? So, that's number 2. Number 3 for confidence is doing practice questions before. I mentioned this in the first with seeing the different angles and this kind of, you know, plays into that, but this is more so Feeling confident that when you see options, you know how to differentiate from what is right and what is wrong. Okay, so when you do practice questions, yes, you're going to see different angles of the same material, but you're also going to learn why things are right and why things are wrong. One of the things that a lot of my students struggle with is this sounds good, right? You say this one sounds good and this one sounds good, but I'm not sure which differentiates them. Now, this skill of doing practice questions will give you confidence to know how to differentiate them, all right? So there are, we can go back to the hemoglobin oxy- oxygen saturation, right? There's a lot of confusion sometimes with shifting to the right, shifting to the left, um, and then conditions that cause that. When you do practice questions and you see every way that the shift can be to the right and every way that the shift can be to the left, when you go to answer that on an exam, you'll be able to rule things in and out very quickly because you've seen them you've seen what you've seen the questions to prove the things right and or to prove the things wrong so when people talk to me about practice questions the biggest thing i get is i don't have enough time to do practice questions i'm so overwhelmed with my studies i have so many powerpoints to get through and notes to get through and anki cards to get through and I hear you. There's a lot of information. I get it. But working in 5 to 10 minutes of questions in between your prolonged studying is not impossible. So when you're studying, I highly recommend if you are you know, using the Pomodoro technique or you're using whatever works for you, if you, let's say, have hour blocks and in that hour block you're doing your primary studying. And we talked about primary studying in another podcast. At that hour block, at the end, do five questions, do 10 questions. These questions can be any, from anything, right? If, if students have written cl- questions in your class, you can use those. If you have an external resource, use that. If you want, you can make your own questions. Sometimes that's helpful, but use that time at the end when you're feeling kind of tired from your primary study to do some questions. You do not need to be ready. You do not need to be an expert. The more you get wrong earlier on, the more you will understand for your exam, right? We, we tend to inherently understand things better after we've gotten them wrong before. We put more emotional uh, emphasis on them. So take the time in your studies to chunk out where you can do practice questions and do them from the beginning. Do not wait until three days before your exam or two days before your exam. Do it from the first lecture you get. At the end of that day, right, of all the three lectures or four or five lectures you get, do some practice questions. It sounds hard to add anything else to your day, but we're just altering it very, very minutely, all right? It's only 10 minutes to really bring in five questions and to ask yourself something different. So why does that build confidence? That builds confidence, again, because you will be able to have an easier time differentiating The options because you've seen them presented in multiple different ways. All right. So, those are three strategies for for confidence during an exam. And confidence outside of an exam, that's a whole different thing. Uh, We will talk about that in another podcast. But the three things that you can really utilize are one, finding as many angles as you possibly can before the exam so that when you get to the exam, it does not matter which way they present it to you, you're prepared. The second one is timing. If you feel like you are a person who constantly runs out of time, try to use the skill. 30 to 45 seconds, read the question, read the options, read the question stem. If you do not know it, flag, move on, come back to it. Give yourself more time at the end of the exam so that you can spend more time with the questions you're struggling with. And I promise you, more times than not, it will work out. All right, and then the third one is doing practice questions before the exam and not right before the exam, but weeks before the exam so that you can start to build that confidence and build that foundation of doing practice questions and developing the skills so that on exam day, you crush it. You go in there, you know how you're a test taker, you know how much time you need per question, and you know how to differentiate right and wrong. There's one caveat, of course. There are going to be questions we just don't know. This happens in step one, level one, step two, level two. There are questions in there that they are purposefully put in there as test questions because most people will not get them right. If there are questions in your exam that you absolutely do not know, pick an answer and move on, all right? There's only ever few of those that you absolutely have never seen before or you are unfamiliar with. Don't beat yourself up. Just move on and spend the time where it's deserved on the questions that you do know, right? The goal is to get as many points as possible. So don't waste your time on questions that you absolutely don't know. So by using these skills, I really do believe that it will boost your confidence in the exam time. It will make you feel better about going through the exam in your own way and also feeling confident with your answers. And when you do this, I believe it will make medicine a little bit easier. Now back to the question for the day. A 22-year-old presents after a motor vehicle accident. The patient is alert and oriented times three and is well-appearing. Upon musculoskeletal exam, the patient cannot abduct her right arm greater than 40 degrees. Which of the following nerves innervates the muscle that is most likely damaged? Is it A, radial nerve, B, ulnar nerve, C, axillary nerve, D, dorsal scapular nerve, or E, suprascapular nerve. So for this case, we're looking at muscles that are involved with abduction of the arm. And there are quite a few that play a role. So we know the supraspinatus is one of them, the deltoid. There's also the trapezius and the serratus anterior. So they specifically gave us an angle. They said greater than 40 degrees. So we know that the supraspinatus only lifts the arm in the initial 0 to 15 degrees, right? So if this patient was not able to lift in the initial setting, we would be thinking this is supraspinatus, all right? So it's not the suprascapular nerve. Um, And we can also use a test called the drop arm test that would prove that this is a supraspinatus injury. So the next muscle is the deltoid muscle, right? And that brings it from the 15 to 90 degree angle. So if we cannot go greater than 40 degrees, that would mean that the deltoid is probably injured, okay? And the deltoids nerve that is involved is the axillary nerve. So the correct answer is C, axillary nerve. And just to touch on the trapezius and serratus anterior, those muscles are really used to bring the arm all the way up towards the head. So abducting up to the 180 degree angle. The other nerves mentioned are not involved in abduction. Thank you all for joining for this episode of the podcast. I really do appreciate it. My goal in life is to help as many as I can. And I know how much of a struggle it is to go through medical school and the pre-medical process. And I wish to be a guide for all of you and learn a lot from you as well. So thank you again for joining.